Ready? Yep. This is Pet Sunday School, and to our listening ears, all angels sing, and round us rings the music of the sea. Movies, 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 movies. I'm going to be talking to Adam Rifkin, the director of Adam Rifkin's Look, Director's Cut, and The Last Movie Star with Burt Reynolds. We are, I'm right now at Show Creator Studios in Las Vegas. We did this in L.A. We're talking about nothing but movies. If you don't like movies, fuck off. You won't like this show. (laughs) And now, preaching love, here's Penn Jillette. Uh, yeah, this is uh, Penn Gillette preaching love and uh, have someone here that I do love, Adam Rifkin. I love Riff. you back. Okay, good. And uh, I want to talk about everything. We've got to talk about Burt Reynolds. Let's do that. He's the last movie star. I'd love to talk about We've got to talk Bert. about Director's Cut. That I'd love to do, too. Which people can now see. They can, finally. And whatever the hell you're doing now. One of the reasons, I'll, I'll, be, uh, I'll be honest here with the people listening, one of the reasons I decided to put you on this show now was because I haven't got a chance to talk to you. <laughs> and I knew if I actually... <laughs> Actually, put aside uh, time to do Sunday school, that I would end up having to talk to you. Perfect. And I, we, we couldn't fuck that up. Then. Two birds Actually. with one stone. So, absolutely. So, how did uh, I finally saw the last movie start? Thank you for checking it out. Uh, and uh, the reason it took so long was not just me not being a good friend to you. It was also that I was holding out hope to see in the theater. Understood. I thought it might. I, I get screwed on that. You probably have, too. I have. With friends' movies. Many times. Go, yeah. Oh, I could just. Uh, and then finally you've got to go. It's not going to happen. Many times. Yeah, i gotta, I got I to gotta actually see it. So I yeah. just saw it on a beautiful 4K TV. Great. In my uh, in my uh, home theater. Excellent. Very I know you have a nice entertainment center. Very good. Very good sound, very good picture, was not in the theater. I had one friend with me, just the two of us were watching it. During my fast, I was starving during it. Wow. And um, I sat there with no distraction from food, <laughs> drinking nothing but water and watching uh, watching your movie. I'm trying to think if there's any food in the movie that might have uh, distracted uh, he you. He does sit at the uh, bar yes. and have some peanuts. I yes, yes. And there is a scene, if I'm not mistaken... When they're in the fancy hotel, they're having mm. dinner. Yeah, you might have noticed she calls that. Bitch. Yeah, she goes, yeah, yeah. That was my my focus. <laughs> uh, any other time, it would have been the bubble bath. Yeah, but this time it was room service. <laughs> it was the food. <laughs> <laughs> that final that final speech that you wrote for him is just spot on. Thank you. You know, uh, I also I was surprised, and I'm gonna. This is a weirdly backhanded compliment. Mm-hmm. Uh, did that speech look good on paper? It seemed like he was able to find things in that speech that, I mean, not that, that weren't there, that you put in that speech that in the mouth of anyone else would have been just um, uh, obvious. Well, you know, it's funny you should say that. When I wrote it, I felt that in the mouth of anybody else, it would have never been able to be believable. That's why not just that speech, but pretty much the whole movie, I wrote it only for Burt Reynolds. Yeah. I wrote it for him and no one else. And when uh, and it took years to get the money to get the movie made. I know. And there, as you know, and there were many instances where it almost happened and then it fell through again. I know, I know, because you, you almost postponed director's cut. That's right. In order to do this. That's right. Yeah. And, uh, and that was five years ago. Yeah. And I told Bert's manager when I first submitted it to Bert that if he doesn't want to do the movie, I'm not doing it. Mm-hmm. That's all there is to it. I'm not doing it. And at one point uh, during uh, trying to get it made and, and when it fell through. 
there was a there was a there was talk that Bert was uh, not feeling well. Maybe he wasn't going to be able to do it. And the investors said, well, is there anybody else that we could put on a list? And I said, absolutely not. We're either going to make it with Bert or we're not going to make it with Bert. Mm-hmm. Now, Bert rallied and got better in no time, and it was no, no problem. Anyway, that issue, that, that company fell through anyway, regardless of that. And it took another couple of years for the money to come through. But I never saw it in my mind with anybody other than it being possible to be done with, uh, with and nobody else but Bert. Did you ever consider... Uh, I guess you, I, this, I think this is a stupid question. Did you ever consider not doing the gloss on it being Burt Reynolds and using the name Burt Reynolds? I'll tell you why I never considered it, and you're not the first person to have suggested it. Mm-hmm. The movie, for people who don't know, is very similar in many ways mm-hmm. to the life of Burt Reynolds. And but, even has the Burt Reynolds we know and love in it from... Uh, from uh, Deliverance and uh, Smokey and the Bandit. Bandit. Right. But I... <laughs> Even though it's a character based on Bert, to me, and ultimately when you see the movie, to anybody watching it, it is a performance. It yeah. is not a documentary. And I didn't want people to yeah. easily decide, oh, he's not acting. He's just being himself. He's not putting in a performance. That is not the answer I thought you'd give, and it's really smart answer. Thank you. There are other reasons, too. Mm-hmm. That, oh, yeah, yeah. That I could think of while I was asking it. Well, there's other reasons anyway, but that's the most important reason. That's I didn't a want really any... good. That's what I didn't think of. Yeah, and, I, and anybody who would have uh, been able to lean in that direction would have if he was just changing the context of instead of playing a character like Burt Reynolds, he's playing Burt Reynolds. Nobody uh, or, or many people would just, just have uh, tuned out to the fact that it was a performance. Yeah, this is not appreciated. Yeah, yeah. Seinfeld. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, that's a uh, that's a really really good point. Now, how much? And I should know this, and I don't. How much of a Burt Reynolds fan were you? I was a huge Burt Reynolds fan growing up. Mm-hmm. My uh, love, as you know, throughout my whole life has been movies, mm-hmm. and I have loved different kinds of movies in different times in my life. Mm-hmm. My first love when I was a little little kid were or monster movies. Right, I knew that. And that uh, we talked about that. That's right. And then. Um, there was an age, probably around, uh, well, it was, it was around the time when all my friends were obsessed with Star Wars. Mm-hmm. I was obsessed with Burt Reynolds. Oh, really? Uh, and, and by the way, Star Wars and Smokey and the Bandit both came out the same year. Star Wars was the number one movie that year. Smokey and the Bandit was the number two movie Is that, that year. true? That's true. Is yeah. that true? Yeah, that's true. Smokey and the Bandit came out that late. Yeah. That Star late. Wars. Yeah. And um, by the way, when Star Wars came out, I hated it. When smoking the bandit, you know, my Star Wars story, uh-huh. to give you an idea of how I have my finger on, why you never want to team up with me again. <laughs> right. um, I was seeing at that time 153 movies a year wow. in theaters. Mm-hmm. I saw nothing but movies. Yeah. And I tried to see everything. Uh, we had a rule with my friend that we would go to see the next movie we could get to that was starting. No taste ever was only done by time. Great. So we saw everything. You saw, saw probably a lot of movies you never otherwise would have seen. Right. Well, we wanted to learn about movies. Yeah. And we wanted to see everything. Yeah. So uh, we saw the first preview for Star Wars, mm-hmm. turned to each other and said, well, we'll be the only ones seeing that. <laughs> we actually did. We actually did. <laughs> and we said, yeah, Star Wars, a lot of people going to see that. <laughs> we laughed about it. And Star Wars, I watched it and just said, this this is awful. I think you were wrong about people not seeing it. Yeah, I think I was. Yeah. <laughs> if I remember my history right. Um, now, I did but not, Smoking the Bandit. I did not hate Star Wars. I, I did like Star Wars. But I 
loved Burt Reynolds. I loved Smoking the Bandit. I thought it was so fun. And I just loved Burt. And it wasn't just... And how old were you that year? I guess I was probably about... Uh, well, if we knew the 10, year it came out... I think it came out, out in uh, 76, 77. Okay. So I was probably about 9 or 10. Mm-hmm. And uh, b- by the way, I still loved all kinds of movies. Don't get me wrong. But Burt Reynolds at that time was the biggest movie star in the world. For people who don't know... People, uh, there is no movie star today as big as Burt Reynolds was then, yeah. as you know. Bigger than Tom Cruise. Yeah, way bigger than Tom Cruise. And ubiquitous. I mean, he was always on Johnny Carson. He was always on Mike Douglas. He was always on Dinah Shore. He was always on uh, every game show. He was always on uh, uh, Tic Tac. Uh, what's the Tic Tac Doe one called? Um, um, Hollywood Squares. Yeah, Hollywood Squares. He was always on that. Always so funny. Always so... Seemed like he was having so much fun being famous. Mm-hmm. That I just fell in love with that his persona, and I just thought he was the coolest guy, and I wanted to be like him, mm-hmm. which I was nothing like him. If you yeah. saw my bar well, mitzvah photo, you were from, you're you... from the south, weren't <laughs> you? you? Yeah. You're, from, you're from what? You're from Kentucky or Louisville? Of course, <laughs> no. Me, Chicago kid that I am, uh, there was no way I was going to be the cool southern uh, dude. But that... you were you were the quarterback of your football team. <laughs> <laughs> you considered you considered NFL to the knee injury. Right? Well, I'll, I'll put it to you this way: I enjoyed the longest yard. <laughs> but uh, but no, I just thought Bert was great, and I also throughout my entire life, as I loved Bert then, and and continued to love Bert throughout my high school years, even when I was submerging myself. In snob cinema history. Well, then he, he gave you Deliverance. He which was before that. that. Which was before that. I hadn't seen it yet. I hadn't uh-huh. seen Deliverance yet at that point. But Deliverance is a truly brilliant film. He's his performance is genius, and it is a very it is a very gritty, shocking, dark seventies movie. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, and then, but he's known more now for the frivolous movies that he did later, mm-hmm. like Smokey and the Bandit, and like. Uh, Cannonball Run and stuff like that. Smoking the Bandit and Cannonball Run are indistinguishable one from the other, right? Uh, not if you've seen them. I've seen both of them many times. Really? Interesting. I, they always meld together for me. <laughs> here's, a little, here's a little way to... Um, Cannonball Run has like Jackie Chan in it, right? That's right. Okay. If it's got Jamie Farr in it, it's Cannonball Run. <laughs> <laughs> if it's got Paul Williams in it, it's uh, uh, it's. And how much do you love Bandit. Paul Williams? Love Paul Williams. And Paul Williams and... Um, right. Uh, Pat, uh, Pat, Pat McCormick. McCormick. Yeah, yeah. Pat McCormick. Pat McCormick. I tried so hard when I met Paul Williams mm-hmm. to kind of hint to him uh-huh. that since Pat McCormick was gone and had died, if Paul Williams ever needed a big guy to stand next to that him. That would have been perfect. It should be me. Would have been perfect. It should be me. You know, uh, Paul Williams went on to write the theme song for a movie Burt directed called The End, which is a great movie. Another good movie. Yeah, he, yeah, yeah. He also wrote this horrible, I mean, they also did this horrible romantic comedy that I loved. Uh, with like Sally Field or something? I don't know what that was. Uh, well, he's done a, he did a lot of romantic comedies that I thought were great. Mm-hmm. Um, Wasn't there some splitting? Well, uh, I don't know. Uh, uh, starting Over. Starting Over. Which yeah. was Jill Clayburgh. Yeah. yeah. Which is, I think it's a great movie. Yeah, great movie. Um, but Bert, uh, Bert, I never felt Bert got his due as an actor. No. Because his persona overshadowed his acting talent. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said to me, I, I, he said to me that, uh, you know, at the time... He didn't think anything of the choices he was making because all the movies he made were opening at number one every time. 
So sure. it's hard to think to yourself, I'm making the wrong choices. Sure. You know, uh, but, you know, because we talked about his contemporaries at the time, some of the, you know, the great actors who are known for being, you know, the De Niro's and the Pacino's and all that. And uh, who he is wicked better than, by the way. I agree with that. He is at least De Niro. Let me tell you something that's interesting. If you look at any Burt Reynolds movie and, and even any Burt Reynolds television appearance, and this goes back to the 50s, I don't think I've ever seen Burt give a false moment in any performance. He's always 100% natural on camera, 100%. And that is not just because he's walking through it. Right. He is a, a, a classically trained actor from the 50s. I mean, you know, Stella Adler, everything. Just, you know, he was, he was roommates with Rip Torn. He was best buddies with uh, uh, Gene Hackman. You know, yeah. they were going to acting school together in, you know, at the actor's studio. But um, people don't think of him as a great actor. But he is a great actor. And I wanted to write a role where he would get a chance to remind everybody that he's a great actor. So I didn't know him, but I wrote The Last Movie Star solely because I wanted to give him a part that he could sink his teeth into and remind everybody that he's still great. And uh, like I said, I submitted it to his manager. I said, please tell Bert, if he doesn't want to do this movie, I'm not making it. And he said, I'll tell him, but I can't promise you what he'll say. He's Bert. Bert does what he wants to do. Did you feel a little bit like the uh, the guys throwing the film festival? I felt movie? exactly like that. <laughs> By the way, I felt like that the whole time making the movie because I wanted him to – I wanted to treat him like the movie star that he is, mm -hmm. but it was a modest budget film. Yeah. So the hotels we were staying at, the <laughs> the, the size of his trailer – Which is the subject of the movie. Which is the subject of the movie. And, and to his credit – he doesn't care about that crap, you mm -hmm. know. Can I say yeah. shit? Say fuck. Okay, yeah, okay. He doesn't give a he doesn't give a fuck about that <laughs> shit. Um, and but I wanted I cared for him. I wanted him to be treated like a big movie star. I wanted him to have a big trailer. I wanted him to have a big hotel suite. But we couldn't afford any of that, and he didn't care. And he also understood that that was what the movie was about. So mm -hmm. he got into that. And how much did you? Uh, I, I I believe I'm giving away nothing here. Um, you told me that some of the stuff. You had to use a double for, right? Well, this was uh, something that going going in, you end up having to do a lot with certain uh, actors anyway. Mm -hmm. You know, Bert has a lot of uh, injuries, football injuries. Oh, yeah. uh, so because of that, he can, you know, he's he walks with a cane. We utilize that in the in mm -hmm. the within the story within the character. But if there was a scene where he had to do a lot of walking for long periods of time, if we were going to shoot a really wide shot, like there are shots as you could see. Uh, remember the scene where he's wa he and Ariel Winter are walking on the pier? Yeah, sure. And they're like ants. Yeah. You know what I mean? Why would we uh, tire Bert out yeah. and hurt his blow his knee out and so that he's not going to be able to stand up you know, the next day uh, for a shot like that? So we doubled him for stuff like yeah. that. But that's very common. You know, that's very common when you're making films. Sure. Now, you told me yeah. every moment with Bert is full of great stories? Every moment. And I am guilty of... Uh, prodding him uh. a lot because he knew everybody. Mm -hmm. He has an incredible memory for everything that he's ever seen, experienced, or heard. Mm -hmm. And he loves to tell stories and is a fantastic storyteller. So if we, if we were resetting up cameras and I had 10 minutes, I would just sit down next to him and I'd say, okay, Bert, um, Vincent Price, <laughs> go. And then he would just tell five hilarious Vincent Price stories or... Harpo Marx or uh, Betty Davis or Spencer Tracy or Groucho Marx or whoever. And what blew your mind the most? God, there's so many. He told a really, really funny story that I would completely bastardize 
uh, about when he was shooting um, the uh, uh, when he was shooting Deliverance, and he insisted that he do his own stunt when the boat break the canoe breaks up and he's supposed to flip down the waterfall and and uh, they were going to use a dummy uh-huh. uh, uh john borman wanted to use a dummy and they used the dummy and it looked like a dummy going over the waterfall and he said to john borman let me do it i'm a stunt man i, I you know he was a stunt man before he was an actor yeah. I'll, I'll do it uh and john borman says very dangerous he said no i'm gonna do it uh so uh, john borman said okay if you can do it and the stunt man didn't want to do it so bert said i'll do it so <laughs> he tells a really funny story about how he uh did it uh, he, he, the buildup to his version of it is hilarious, how, how he's setting it up and taking himself very seriously and measuring. And, and uh, they had some sort of dam that they could control the water a little bit, the, the flow of the water. And when he was ready to do the stunt, he said, release the water. And he said that the sound of the water rushing was the most horrifying sound he'd ever heard. And it hit him. He said everything he planned went out the window when he got hit with a wall of water that knocked him uh, over the waterfall. And he said that... Prior to that, one of the frogmen told him, if you ever get caught in a whirlpool, swim to the bottom. Because if you swim to the bottom, because it's, it's, it's against what, your nat- what nature would tell you right. to do, you'd be fighting it. But if you swim to the bottom, it'll shoot you out uh, somewhere else. So he got caught in a whirlpool I- I- after the stunt, and he swam to the bottom, and sh- he sh- it shot him down the river. And suddenly they couldn't find him. He was gone. They shot him down the river too far. They didn't know where he was. They thought he drowned. Suddenly somebody says, hey, look over there. They're way down the river. Comes Bert. He said he, he, said he, he went into the water, a 35-year-old man. And now they all look at this. They, they're looking at this 90-year-old dude you know, limping his way back to the set nude. Somehow his wetsuit got just gloved off his body. He had broken every bone. Uh, and... Uh, and he broke his coccyx. He, brought, he, he, he punctured his kidney, like serious damages. And he asked uh, John Borman, um, how did it look? He said it looked like a dummy going over the uh, <laughs> waterfall. <laughs> That's great. That is so great. Yeah. And uh, uh, the movie can be seen. I mean, I, I, it was, it's really easy to find. Easy to find. It's, it's everywhere. It's everywhere now. I mean, it's, there's a really fabulous uh, Blu-ray for people who are collecting uh, uh, Blu-rays. But if you want to see it right now, it's on Amazon Prime. Or you could see it on any other streaming service. Too. Yeah, I think I saw it on iTunes or something. Yeah, yeah. It's on iTunes. It's all, on all of those. Yeah. It's not on Netflix yet, but it will yeah. be. Yeah, it's in. Uh, it's doing okay? It's doing great. You got, you got good reviews. Got on a right? lot of great reviews. People are loving it. I'm actually of of all the movies that I've ever made, I've never gotten this much social media love from mm-hmm. people who I don't know. Just reaching out to me, saying how much they appreciated the movie and loved Bert in the movie. And how uh, how uh, how's your relationship with Bert now? Fantastic. Uh, Bert's the best. When we become not only, I mean, when I was a kid, my fantasy was to hang out with Bert Reynolds. Mm-hmm. And you know, as you know. The cliche is never meet your idols because they'll inevitably disappoint you. But Burt Reynolds is such a great guy. He's everything that my 12-year-old self hoped he'd be like when I fantasized uh, about what it would be like to hang out with him. So we're very good friends now, which is is something that I'm very happy about. And uh, he is now – he now got cast in a big role in Quentin Tarantino's new movie, which is very exciting for him and for everybody who loves him. And what's his new movie? Uh, It's called uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. It's set in Hollywood in 1969. Mm-hmm. It's got uh, Brad Pitt. Uh, it's got um, Leonardo DiCaprio. Uh, it's got Margot Robbie. Lots of uh, Kurt Russell. A lot of other big stars. And Burt Reynolds has a f- huge role. What's he playing? Do you know? He plays George Spawn of the Spawn Ranch. Oh, really? 
Yeah. Oh, because it's, it's got the Manson stuff. Because it's got a it's got a big Manson family, uh, a Manson murders theme, uh, a subplot to the movie, or, or maybe that's the main plot. I, don't, I haven't read the script. I don't know, but. Uh, that connects to our movie. Sure does. Director's cut. Spawn, spawn, uh, spawn Ranch. Yeah. And uh, what are you working on now? Well, now that uh, Last Movie Star is done and has been released and is my responsibilities are over, and now the Director's Cut is finally done, released, and my responsibilities for to it are over, I am now going back to writing. And okay. I'm writing something of my own that I'm, I've been dying to get to. I just haven't had the time. So now I'm, I'm writing. And you're writing it for? Myself. Yeah. In hopes that I'll make it. Well, uh, Phil Rosenthal. Who I just did a podcast. I saw him walk out before this. He um, he said that the best advice he ever got in show business, yeah. and it is indeed in life, uh-huh. something I will use forever from now on, uh-huh. is make the show you want to make because eventually it's going to be canceled anyway. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great piece of advice. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. That sums it up. You know, somebody else gave me similar advice. Which is, let me see, see if I can remember how it was worded to me, uh, that if you, if you make a movie just because you think it's going to be a success, as opposed to making a movie that you really want to make, but you think it's going to be a failure, the successful one is going to be a failure anyway. And you'll just have had a miserable time making one you didn't want to make because <laughs> it'll still fail. So better to make something that you care about. That'll fail. Yeah. Because most things, most things are going to fail. Yeah. So why not have at least a good time yeah. doing it and feel satisfied doing it? Yeah. Arthur Penn said that um, there were uh, three things that mattered about doing a project. Uh, he said in show business, but probably anywhere. Yeah. How good it is. Yeah. How much fun you have while you're making it. Yeah. And how successful it is. Yeah. So all three of those things matter tremendously. Yeah. He said two of them are completely within your control. <laughs> one you have nothing to do with. That's so true. So do not be confused by the one you have nothing to do with yeah. and ruin the other two. That's so smart. <laughs> That's really smart. He must have had amazing stories. Oh, he did. He also told me uh, his favorite joke in show business. Yeah. Which I think, I think you'll like. Arthur Penn said uh, three guys. A writer, director, and producer go into the Russian tea room in Manhattan, <laughs> and they each order a big bowl of borscht. And the writer takes a sip of the borscht and goes, this borscht is perfect. It needs nothing. It is exactly the way it should be. This is perfect borscht. The director tastes the borscht and says, well, it's good. It's very good. But I can fix it up a little <laughs> A little sour cream, a little pepper. I'm going to change it around a little bit where I put the spoon. I can make this a great borscht. And the producer takes a taste of the borscht and goes, this is great borscht. I'm going to piss in it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That sums it up. That's showbiz. Yeah, that's showbiz. That's showbiz right there. That's showbiz right there. I didn't uh, see that one coming. I know. It's a a great turn. That's good. Yeah, Arthur Penn had great stories. And great advice to directors. I'll bet. Now, uh, he said, if it says rain in the script, cross it out. (laughs) (laughs) I learned that the hard way (laughs) many times. If it says rain in the script, cross it out. Yeah, yeah. Arthur also did his first day on uh, any movie. On every first take, he said, okay, done, camera moves. Really? Every single one. And... On the first day, most of those takes were unusable. Yeah. Could not be used in the movie. He 
top load of the movie, as you're going to do, yeah. with things that didn't matter much. Yeah. And he said, what that does <clears throat> is it convinces this crew you're crazy, mm-hmm. and it scares everybody shitless. Wow. He said, if you take more than one take on the first day, people learn that rhythm. Yeah. And he said, pretty soon your lighting guy is going to get it right on take three. Yeah. He said, your actors will be saving it. Yeah. For take five. Wow. He said, the actors really do save that. Yeah. He said, everybody gets in the rhythm you set up the first day. So he said, the first day we blew the first half day with people not being ready. Wow. So, but the second half of the day, everybody's going, this, this crazy motherfucker does one take. We got to give it everything. And he said, your actor, he told me this, by the way, at the end of the whole movie, <laughs> he said, your actors give a hundred percent the first take. Wow. He said the hundred percent, they got nothing left because they're scared to death. That's and they don't have this one little thing they're going to try later for yeah, me. Yeah. Nothing. He said, then the second day, you take as many takes you need for everything. That's fantastic. And he said, people remember that first day forever, and they're always scared you're going to do it again. Then there's directors like Glenn Eastwood who do one take for the whole movie, the whole movie. for his whole career. <laughs> yeah. And do fine. They're great. And do and fine. And by the way, everybody knows that about him. Yeah. And so everybody brings their A game to the first take. Yeah. You want a New Year's resolution you can actually keep? Huh? Stop going to the post office to send letters and packages when you don't have to. Save time and money this year by using Stamps.com instead. I love Stamps.com. All the director's cut stuff went out with it. Matt uses it for uh, all his uh, scoop stuff. And uh, Godot uses it for barbecue soup. Uh, we send out everything on it. It's Stamps.com. We sent out 5,000 more, I guess, more like 7,000 packages for um, Director's Cut, Emily did it all, and uh, she loves Stamps.com. Brings you all the amazing service of the U.S. Postal Service right at your computer. Stamps.com is the faster and more convenient way to get postage. Simply use your computer to print official U.S. postage for any letter, any package, any class of mail, anywhere you want to send. And the mail carrier picks it up. No more lugging mail to the post office, no more hassles. Stamps.com not only saves you time, it saves you money, too. With Stamps.com, you get discounted postage rates you can't even get at the post office. How is that possible? Anyway, I use Stamps.com because it is the best. Check it out. You should have it by now. Right now, you too can enjoy the Stamps.com service with a special office that includes four-week trial plus postage and a digital scale. So start the new year off right. Go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in PEN. That's Stamps.com, enter PEN, P-E-N-N. Every car comes with a share of stories. That ding in the bumper when you nervously picked up a first date, the luxury package you got after a big promotion, or the mileage you saved by riding your bike all summer. Well, you can't put a price tag on those stories. Now, with True Car, you can at least find out what your car's worth and it's time to sell it or trade it in. Just go to True Car, simply enter your license plate number and watch how your car's details pop up. Then answer a few questions, navigation or moonroof. Watch as they bump up your value. High mileage, well, you already knew that was going to cost you, but now you know how much it dings your wallet. You can plan ahead. Once you've finished, you'll get a true cash offer sent in minutes, which you can take to a local certified dealer to cash out or trade in. So when you're ready to experience a better way to sell or trade in your car, check out True Car today. True Car offers not available in all areas. So yeah, check out True Car. It's a good deal.
I have a, a very small Clint Eastwood story, mm. minimal Clint Eastwood story. Uh, I'd always been a fan of his as well, and I got a chance to meet him because a friend of mine who happens to be Charlie Sheen sure. was starring in a movie that Clint was directing called The Rookie. Sure. And so uh, Charlie said, come visit the set. We're going to shoot the climax of the movie at this airport in, Car- in Northern California. I think it was in Carmel or wherever the closest airport was to Carmel, California. Uh, and um, I flew up there, and I was waiting to meet him the whole day, the whole first half of the day, I should say. I was waiting to meet him. And uh, I was so hungry, waiting, 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 waiting. Uh, finally, I thought I'd, I'd slip over to the craft service table, eat something really fast, because I wanted to be ready to meet him say something funny or something that he'll remember. So I crammed an entire wedge of a, a whole fourth of a club sandwich in my mouth in hopes that I would eat it as fast as possible. And as soon as it was in my cheek, I got a tap on my shoulder. And Charlie said, Adam, this is Clint Eastwood. And I turned and, and I had my, the bulge in my face. And he just looked at me. I couldn't say anything because there was so much food in my mouth. And he just sort of squinted and said, eat up. The price is right. <laughs> and he wandered off. That was my Clint Eastwood story. What, uh, you know, my friend Mike Nesmith yeah. of the Monkees. A monkey's hat you have on your head yeah. right now. He, um, in uh, Monterey, he owns half of Monterey. Mm-hmm. Clint Eastwood owns the other half. Yeah, wow. So when out to Mike Nesmith's house, we take a shortcut through like 10 miles of Clint Eastwood's property. <laughs> and they live there. Yeah. And Mike Nesmith said um, he once a week or so, has lunch with Clint Eastwood. Uh-huh. And he says, Clint is a little hard of hearing. And so when you're having lunch with him, he leans over the table, listens to you really intensely and squints. <laughs> and he says, so the whole time you're having lunch with Clint Eastwood, it looks like he's going to kill you. <laughs> and they're very, very good friends. But he said, it's terrifying. That's great. Because you go, Listen, punk. <laughs> He's squinting at you and leaning in carefully to what you're saying. That's so funny. And the idea of Mike Nesmith and Clint Eastwood in the fight to the death really makes me laugh. Oh, that's great. Well, just the idea of Mike Nesmith and, and Clint Eastwood having lunch makes yeah. me happy. <laughs> but the reason I brought up Clint Eastwood is, and because his, his only doing one takes is that on the movie The Rookie, Charlie told me a story about, by the way, I'll, I'll say, when I was there visiting the set, I learned so much because from lunch to the end of the day, he shot the climax of the whole movie. Whole gun battle, whole chase scene, whole climax of the movie, all just one take after, you know, take one, take one, take one, all day, shot the whole climax of the movie in six hours or less. I was so impressed. I never had seen anything like it. Uh, but Charlie said that uh, he, there was a, a scene where uh, Clint had a close-up, and he said his line, and he did it once, and he said, okay, moving on. And the focus puller said, Clint, you might want to do it one more time. I, I'm not quite sure I had you in focus. And he said, they'll know it's me. <laughs> that's great that's great that's great yeah 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 i guess uh i guess you do uh you do enough movies you understand yeah man i mean he's so he's so confident and comfortable as, as that kind of director i think it, and and you know he's made some fantastic movies now did uh did burt burt reynolds direct yes he directed a lot of movies and they're very good uh, he directed uh, Sharky's Machine, which is great. He directed Gator, which is great. He directed The End, which is great. He directed a bunch of other movies too, and and he he's a really good filmmaker. And and when I and he, on my movie, very much wanted to be the actor in the movie, but occasionally I'd say I'd call on Burt Reynolds, the filmmaker, to give me some advice mm-hmm. if I was having a hard time figuring out how to best stage something or get the biggest laugh out of something, and he would 
look around, he'd see what I was trying to do, and he'd make a, a suggestion, and it was always spot on and great. Mm-hmm. He's really creative that way. Yeah, why, yeah. I, it just seems great. He's great. I'm so great. I'm so envious. You'll love him. You'll meet him. You'll love him. Yeah, it uh, just seems like uh, now. Um, uh, I always wonder this. You know, I uh, I, I I care about this. Uh, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I will say this because I know you knew Paul Newman very well. Mm-hmm. Bert was very close with Paul Newman and Joanne Woodward. Very close from the very beginning of his career, and he credits her with really starting his career. Because you know. Um, it's one of the things I want to talk about because um, I remember being backstage at a, a, the Penn Awards, which are not named after me mm. as they should be, <laughs> but they're writer awards. Yeah. And I was backstage with um, Bill Murray mm-hmm. and, uh, and uh, Paul Newman. Paul Newman, Bill Murray, and me wow. backstage Amazing. waiting for 45 minutes to go on because it was running, was running late. We're all speaking. And so we're all chatting. Yeah. That's, that's, the, that's the trio that's chatting. That's neat. And um, Paul Newman, however old he was then— in his 80s, mm-hmm. who, by the way, left-handed gun, Arthur Penn's yeah. first movie. Yeah, incredible. Paul Newman, amazing yeah. movie. Um, Paul Newman was complaining about where he wouldn't be able to get roles. Wow. Wanted to do acting. I'm going, how, how can this be? Yeah. This cannot be possible. How can... So I wonder a lot about not just, not just people who are getting older, yeah. but I wonder all the time what day-to-day lives are like. Because yeah. I... Uh, my day's very scheduled. Yeah. I, I get stuff. I get stuff done. You get more stuff done than anybody I know. But I wondered uh, what I see it in the movie. Yeah. And I, and I, but I know that's a fictional character. What are Burt Reynolds' days like? What does he fill his days with? Well, I'll tell you this: Burt Reynolds has always been very passionate about giving back to the world of actors, and has been an acting teacher and an acting coach since the earliest days of his career. I didn't know that. Yeah, and so he teaches acting all the time. Still. Yeah, and he has an acting school and a Burt Reynolds institution all in Florida, and he spends a lot of time with all his students, working with them. By the way, if one of them, if they're shooting a movie in Florida and and one of them gets an audition, he'll work with them for the audition. He he's he's very dedicated, and he has classes. Before we made the movie, I would fly down to Florida occasionally, and we'd talk about the movie and hang out a little bit, and I'd sit in on his classes, oh, which is great. And he would sit from four in the afternoon till midnight or later doing these acting classes with large groups of of students. He has as much energy as he must have had when he was thirty years old. He wasn't tired. He wanted to keep going. And uh, what what is his style of acting teaching? His whole style of acting teaching, which you can see in his performances, is less is more. Mm-hmm. You know, everything he said, everything, uh, a lot of this, the uh, coaching he was doing is that you, you're telegraphing, you're being too big, smaller, 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 less, 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 because the camera sees everything. And when you look at Bert, I mean, a lot of times when I was working with Bert, we'd do a take and it was great. But uh, I thought it was just, you know, a serviceable take. I'd do another take or two other takes or three other takes. Then in the editing room, when we're editing the footage, I'd look at that first take or the second take. And suddenly I would notice things that he was doing on his face that were so subtle I couldn't see it in person. But you see it on camera. Little tiny things, a little cock of an eyebrow, a little just, uh, you know, just a smirk, whatever. It it was so... uh, Interesting to see how, how how it was invisible to the naked eye. You know, uh, I heard that same story 
from um, Terry Gilliam, mm-hmm. who said that when he was working on Brazil, mm-hmm. he got um, uh, had Robert De Niro. Yeah. And he said he would do a take with Robert De Niro, and he said it was just nothing. Yeah. Just nothing. And he'd get another take from De Niro, and it was just nothing, and he, he didn't care, and okay, I yeah. guess that's what we're getting out of De Niro. Yeah. And then he said he would get it in the editing room, and it was the best performance of the movie. Wow. He said it was just everything was done so subtle. Yeah, yeah. And I, I guess that's that's what. But did did Bert did stage acting too, right? Yeah. Oh, he did a lot of stage acting. And when he's doing stage acting, he's doing it differently. But he's still really natural. He never, he never, he never feels like he's acting. It's one of those things that if you're too good an actor, yeah, you, um, I don't think you get credit. Well, that's definitely been his uh, the issue with him his whole career because he's so good. That people don't think he's acting. They right. just think he's walking in front of a camera and doing his thing. He's also one of those actors who is always himself in that situation. Right. Which I think is what acting is supposed to be. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I don't know about what do you think about that? You know, the Gary Oldman when you, you know, an entirely different person. Well, I think for the people who can do it well, it's great. You know, and I think some actors are fabulous at exactly that. They can submerge themselves. They disappear into a role. Uh, but Burt Reynolds, um, he doesn't have to do that. Who are your favorite actors? Well, just in the history of movies? Yeah. Just because, uh, you know, when I see Mark uh, Rylance, mm. Rylance, how's it pronounced? I don't know how to pronounce it. Yeah. But, you know, yeah. uh, I just think that's that's a whole different level. Yeah. Have you, yeah. Have you you've seen him? Sure. Do stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I saw him uh, live. Mm-hmm. I went to see a play called Jerusalem mm-hmm. in, uh, in London yeah. and was told this is the greatest performance ever. Yeah. And that was the case where I thought I was seeing a guy um, who was just that guy. Yeah. They found some dumb guy and he was just yeah. doing this yeah. and then saw him in another role. We had nothing in common, yeah. with that role. Yeah. And I talked to Damien Lewis, who has worked with them in some stuff and just said yeah. it's a whole different level yeah. of, of yeah. good he is there. Yeah. And that's another kind of... Of actor who's who, if you saw Ready Player One, yeah, you just go, oh, that that's that's that guy. That's that guy. Yeah, you know, that's that's that yeah. would be a computer guy that came up with that. Bert's favorite actor he talked about to me was uh, Spencer Tracy, mm-hmm. and he said Spencer Tracy gave him the best acting advice he's ever gotten. And when he told me what the advice was, it made perfect sense when you look at Bert's Bert's whole career of performances. Mm-hmm. He said. Uh, he asked uh, when he was young, starting out, he asked uh, Spencer Tracy, give me some advice on acting. And Spencer Tracy said, never let him catch you acting. That, he, they, he said that was the best advice he ever got. It's good advice. Yeah, really good advice because if you're doing it right, it's invisible. People should just think you're not acting at all, which is what Bert has always done his career. But the problem is when people see someone chewing up the scenery and acting up a storm, they think that's good acting. You talking about Al Pacino? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's particularly talking about Al Pacino. Well, I will tell you, Al Pacino has done some great performance. He sure has. He sure has. But t- tell me how the Al Pacino also is in the new Quentin Tarantino movie. Oh, and really? I have, and I have high hopes for that. Yeah, I, I love. I love. I saw uh, Al Pacino play uh, play uh, uh, Shylock in The Merchant of Venice uh-huh. on Broadway, uh-huh. and uh, it, uh, it was amazing because uh, I was at a restaurant and Al Pacino came over mm-hmm. and. Introduced himself. Wow. So I'm nice. talking to Al Pacino, and I said, uh, he said to me, you're going to see Merchant of Venice. And I said, I, I couldn't get tickets. It's sold out. And he said, just 
Call the box office tomorrow and tell them that uh, that uh, Al wants you to get tickets. You can have my house seats. I said, okay, thanks. <laughs> so <laughs> Did that work? The next day, I call up and go, uh, hi, uh, I, I, this is uh, – this is uh, Pendulin. I bumped into Al Pacino last night, and Al said to say, Al said I can have his house seats. And they said, sure. I went, that works? <laughs> I can't believe <laughs> that it. That works? <laughs> that works? I had no piece of paper, no nothing. Wow. No, it works. Now, try it. Anytime he is in, on stage now, I'm going to try that. <laughs> Give me Al's house yeah, seat. Yeah, this is uh, Adam Rifkin calling. I uh, <laughs> ran into Al last night. He uh, he said he wanted me to see the show. So uh, house seats? Yeah. It works. <laughs> <laughs> Works as far as I know every time. Perfect. As far as I, 100% of the time. Does that work at the Penn and Teller Theater? Uh, with Al? Well, try. Give it a try. <laughs> this is Al Pacino calling. <laughs> give it a try. Al, Al Pacino said uh, well, he wants me to have his house seats for Penn and Teller. Okay? Who, who are your favorite actors? My favorite actors. God, that's a that's a tough question. Because if an actor is in a movie that I love... And he gives one great performance in one movie. I think he's or she is great, even if everything else they do is terrible. Who's that? Name some. Well, let me let me list some of my favorite movies. Yeah, that's even better. Let's and then we can we can talk about we'll some of the performances in them. Yeah. You know, I uh, and my list of favorite movies changes all the time. Sure. But uh, I love. I mean, speaking of Al Pacino and Robert De Niro, I can't not bring up the Godfather parts one and two. Okay. 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 <laughs> I have always mm -hmm. been someone mm -hmm. who claimed to not like The Godfather right. Part 1 and 2. Okay. I thought these are movies about bad people. Right. I don't care. Right. I guess they're pretty pictures. I guess they're good performances. Right. I don't care about the story. Right. I don't care about honor right. or dignity right. or any of that shit. Right. All the stuff they deal with. That I'm a man of respect thing. Right. All that shit is, I think... Human beings at their worst. That empty, macho, right. I hate everything about it. Yeah. So I, when I was on my fast, I mm -hmm. decided to watch Godfather 1 and Godfather 2. Right. I'd watch them fresh. Yeah. So I watched it and went, hey, it's a pretty good movie. <laughs> <laughs> it held my attention. But that's not the punchline. Right, okay. I go, wow, it's a, it's a, it's a pretty good movie. Yeah. That's a really good movie. I yeah. like a lot of that. Yeah. And it's not just those stupid macho themes. Yeah. There's other stuff going yeah. on there. Yeah. And it's not just about a father and his legacy. It's not. Yeah. It's about a lot of different things. Yeah. And it's complicated. Yeah. And there is a good plot. Yeah. And all the performances are really great. Yeah. And they're really interested. And it's more than pretty pictures. Yeah. It's really, really good. Yeah. But you know that I'm a nut. Yeah. You know that I keep notes on everything. Sure. You know that if you had dinner with me a year ago, yeah. that I have in my notes what we talked about. Yeah. I, and there's a good joke you told. It's there. <laughs> right. You know that's there. Yeah. And you also know I keep a track of keep a track. I'm in the Italian thing. I keep a track uh... of every movie I've ever seen. Yeah. Just for fun. Yeah. I went back and did a search yeah. for Godfather and Godfather Two. Yeah. To see what I thought last time I saw it. Yeah. Which was about. 12 years ago. I read it and it says, I always said to like this movie. <laughs> but it's actually pretty You had good. the same revelation 12 years ago. Exact same revelation. <laughs> so I checked again to the time before I saw it. Exact same thing. <laughs> what I do is I remember not liking it, not understanding it. Yeah. And then it surprises me every, every time. time brand new. It's actually a pretty good movie. But talk to me about what's great about it. Well, a lot of pretty pictures. And do you think two is better than one, like everybody? Here's the way I put it. Godfather 1 is the greatest movie ever made, and Godfather 2 is even better. Okay. That's how I put it. Yeah. Uh, I love both movies. It's amazing. You know, it's the way you explain to me who is missing from the aristocrats 
and yet still it's a great movie, right? So Godfather 2 to me with the idea on paper that Marlon Brando is not going to be in it uh-huh. on paper, it's no, there's no way it could be better than the first one. There's no right. possible way. And somehow it's better. So I, 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 but I still love the first one too. I mean, to me, they're both one big movie experience. I don't put, count three in the same. No, category. no one, no one counts yeah, three. Yeah. And uh, and what about? I was intrigued by this. And then people told me I was a dipshit. Yeah. Maybe not for that reason, right? But uh, there is a chronological version of one and two. Yes, and it was uh, it was released on network television. It's mm-hmm. it was, and it's interesting to see. It's called the Godfather Saga. Mm-hmm. It's interesting to see. It was recently. Uh, restored and released on HBO. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of scenes in it that were left on the cutting room floor of both Godfather 1 and Godfather 2. And it tells the whole story chronologically mm-hmm. of both movies. Mm-hmm. But not 3. No. Uh, it was made before 3 was made. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's an interesting... You know why? Because God is kind. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. It's an interesting thing to see if you've seen 1 and 2 and are familiar with 1 and 2 pretty... If you're pretty familiar with them, if you have never seen Godfather 1 or Godfather 2, do not watch the Godfather saga at all. Mm-hmm. It's only meant as, to me, an interesting exercise. It's like, and it's, it's a shame that there are people who only have seen that, and that's their only exposure to the Godfather saga, the Godfather films. Just like there are, there's an entire generation almost of people who have only seen the Apocalypse Now Redux and have not seen the original cut. The original cut of uh, the of Apocalypse Now, to me, is a fabulous film. Redux, interesting, as a piece of DVD supplemental material. All the stuff they cut out, put back in, change the order of it a little bit. But as the sort of... Uh, you, don't, you, you don't like the uh, helicopter scene? The, the uh, whole, uh, whole Playboy... Oh yeah, there's a there's a little bit of it in the first in the first version, but then it gets goes on and on and on in the in the Redux with Bill Graham. Yeah, yeah, I don't like the Redux in any for any other purpose than to see what was how it was interesting that they had all this other footage that was possibly at one point going to be in the film. I love Apocalypse Now. Yeah, one of my favorite movies. Yeah, uh, I have no doubts about this one. Yeah, I love it every time I yeah. see it. I liked Redux a lot, and uh, I was going to watch it during my fast. Yeah. And a very wise friend said, you don't need to watch a movie about a man going crazy right now. <laughs> ah, because good you're, point. Because you're on the edge. Yeah. I was so close at that point to um, bet. sell the house, yeah. sell the car, sell the kids. <laughs> I'm never coming back. Yeah, I'll bet. I was, I was going up the river. Yeah. Uh, at what point did it turn for you? <laughs> Has it? Well, in terms of the fast, in terms of the fast, <laughs> when you started your fast, at what point did it? you just go from being hungry to being crazy? You were promised that happens day four mm-hmm. or day five, mm-hmm. and then you get euphoria and bliss. Um, the doctor that I worked with, Dr. Clapper, who is, uh, has supervised thousands of fasts, said that I had the worst he'd ever seen. The worst going crazy? No, I did not get a moment of bliss Till day 13. No shit. It was hunger, misery for 13 days. Wow. He said not only is it the longest he, uh, he's seen, but he couldn't believe someone made it through. Wow. Because you're supposed to just go, okay, I quit. I didn't. But the health benefits were phenomenal. You know, the whole time you've known me, yeah. and for 20 years before that, yeah. I was on a lot of medications. Yeah. Even after losing 100 pounds, yeah. I was still on some medications. Now I'm on zero. Really? Of any kind. Wow. Um, I And the fast 
it, it gives your body the chance to heal all these yeah. things that it otherwise couldn't heal. The arteries and all mm. that stuff get cleaned up. Yeah. The body just is. It's why animals and people, when they get really sick, don't feel like eating. Because that's, the body is healing. The, the evolutionary reason is ah. to, you know, if you don't feel like eating, probably don't eat. Yeah. But um, uh, with, of course, big exceptions. Yeah. There's all sorts of mental problems and circuitry problems that can make that not true. But pretty much uh, when you when you don't want to eat, probably don't. And it made incredible differences to me. I mean, I had arthritis in my thumbs, which is gone. Um, any sort of inflammation goes away. Wow. My allergies got a lot better. It was just a really good thing. But maybe it wasn't the time to watch Apocalypse Now. So um, <laughs> Maybe not. Okay, so uh, we're going to take a little break here. We're done with The Godfather. We want to go into uh, me talking about the movies I watched also during my water fast when I was going crazy. But that'll be Wednesday with more movies. But right now, that was Penn Sunday School. That was Penn Sunday School. Cha-cha-cha. You become naked. Yeah, I always forget. You know, I think I hate The Godfather. And then like every six years, I watch it. And it's like, okay. Yeah. Not the best movie ever made, but okay. Yeah. And The Godfather 2 is better than The Godfather 1. Right. Which is very rare. Like Elvis Costello's second album. <laughs> movies, movies, movies. Terminator. Terminator 2, I think. Oh, yeah, I think you're right. But not aliens. No. Ugh. Hey, everybody. Jason Ellis here from the Jason Ellis Show podcast, reminding you that my podcast, new episodes every Wednesday, downloadable where all podcasts are available. Come see my friends, Michael and Kevin, as we talk to you about what's awesome, what sucks, fitness, fighting, parenting, life, spin kicks, LGBTQ community, how to defend yourself against a shock if it attacks you out of nowhere, and much, much more. So come join us.